0: Hey, what's up, guys? Happy Monday to you. Hope you had a wonderful weekend and um, are ready for another episode of TNC. This is episode number 354 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. Um, we got a few things to talk about today. You know, I wasn't going to do a show today, but there's a few things that I'd like to discuss and then we can do a quick preview of what's coming up this weekend uh nothing great but there's a loaded schedule just you know there isn't really the best matchups out there although um top rank actually has a pretty nice one i should say in their main event so we'll talk about that uh if i can get to a few phone calls i will guys i'm really really busy right now Uh, i got a few projects i'm working on just busy dude so it's it's hard for me to do a super long show right now but if i can get to a few phone calls I will do that, okay? In the meantime, before I get started, uh, please make sure you're smashing that like button. I like my man John here says, uh, I always hit the like button even before the show starts. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And uh, Alexander says, number one pound for pound at the moment is the tie between Tank and Paul. I agree with you. We're gonna talk about that. (laughs) We're gonna talk about that in just a little bit. Um, Not really about pound for pound, but about Jake Paul. So uh, yeah, make sure you guys pay the fee. I always remind you, pay the fee, non-monetary. I'm just asking you to make sure you share the show. Get it out there on your social media. Word of mouth is how we spread uh, this show and and make it grow. Everything is word of mouth, okay? So please, please, please pay the fee. And I ask that you do that every single week. Smash that like button, all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribed because YouTube likes to unsubscribe people for some weird reason. Make sure you're subscribed. Click that notification bell. All that good stuff, yada, yada, yada. You guys know, you know the drill. Uh, for those of you, by the way, for those of you new to the show, I've gotten a lot of new subscribers recently and new followers. I uh, thank you for um, subscribing, for following. Uh, I've gotten a lot of T-shirt orders in the last few weeks around the world. I've been sending T-shirts all over the world, man. It's been really, really awesome. Guys, thank you so much. If you want to check out a Montero unboxing T-shirt, just go to my website, monterounboxing.com and um, just do it from right there. All right, so thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Now let's get into this thing. Um, News and or notes. Dillian White tests positive once again for a banned substance. The actual drug that he tested positive for, to my knowledge, that has not been revealed yet, has not been made public, at least at the time I'm recording this. But his fight with Anthony Joshua coming up that really nobody really gave a damn about anyway has been canceled. So now matchroom boxing is trying to find a replacement opponent for Anthony Joshua. I don't blame them one bit. Look, Anthony Joshua is their biggest fighter. He's the most, he's the biggest brand in the UK. He's one of the biggest brands in all of global boxing, despite losing those fights recently to Alexander Usyk, right? Um, He uh, got a W earlier this year against Franklin and they're trying to get him back in the ring again before the end of the year. I get it. Smart. Smart. So go ahead and find him a replacement opponent. Guys, they're not going to be able to get him a top level dude. It's not going to be Philip Hergovich or somebody like that. It's, it's just not. Uh, some of the names being tossed around are not necessarily the best names, but again, I get it. Um, if you've already bought tickets and all this stuff, then you know, you're still going to get a fight. If you don't like the replacement opponent, you don't have to go to the fight. You don't have to buy the pay per view over there. It is what it is. Um, hopefully, next year, Anthony Joshua is back in there against the top 10 heavyweight. I have no problem after these fights with Usyk, them taking a step back and just doing some developmental fights. Um, I thought the Franklin fight was good because that was you know, Jermaine Franklin's a guy that isn't like a retread or an old guy or something. It was somebody that. AJ could work on some stuff with they need to find another opponent like that for him. I don't want to see Derek Chisora, Robert Helaney. I just don't want to see those guys. I didn't want to see Dillian white. Those guys, th- their careers are over. It's time for them to retire. And that felt like just like a payday kind of a thing. So hopefully to find the right kind of opponent that can get AJ some work and give him a look. He hasn't seen before. That's what I'm hoping for. All right. Um, also according to reports now, I'm about to say is controversial, right? Right, because uh, it it comes down to who you believe. But according to reports, to the people I have talked to, the pay-per-view fight between Errol Spence and Terence Crawford did around six hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. Now, some people will have you think it's almost seven hundred thousand. Some people out there say it's like five hundred thousand. As I always say with this stuff, guys, we're we're you're arguing over two hundred thousand or so pay-per-view buys. There was a point when people were arguing whether it was a million or 1.5 million or something like that with the pay-per-view buy scale that we had back in the day. Now you guys are bickering over, no, it wasn't 525. It was 573. You know, you're arguing. It's it's around 500,000, like chill the fuck out. So this thing sold around 600,000 pay-per-view buys. If it's a little over that, if it's a little under that, so freaking what? It's right around that number. Okay. That means combined with the gate revenue, this was a successful promotion. It was one of the more successful, commercially successful events of the year. Certainly not the most commercially successful, though. Um, it, it's crazy to think Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia did a bigger gate you know, with the tickets and substantially more buys in, in the modern era. I won't say substantially historically, but in the modern era, Substantially more pay-per-view buys, if you believe reports. They did three, 400,000 more buys. And you look at this and you look at the accomplishments of especially Terrence Crawford, but also Errol Spence. Errol Spence is far more accomplished than Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. And Terrence Crawford is more accomplished than Errol Spence. So the level of accomplishment between those two events, the fighters in those two events, was vast, right? The, the 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 gap between the two of them. Um, Ryan Garcia is a glorified prospect. He, he I, 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 he's a contender. He's a baby contender. The status he was at when he fought uh, Tank. Tank is a, a WBA regular champion. That's it. He hasn't fought an elite level opponent at his at his best weight in his physical prime ever in his career ever. Yet, their pay per view event, their fight had a hell of a lot more buzz on social media. There were way more people talking about it, way more podcasters talking about it, guys like Joe Rogan, Barstool Sports, those casual fan type of things. There was way more juice, way more energy for Davis Garcia than for Spence Crawford. Uh, Higher ticket sale revenue, higher uh, sponsorships and endorsements and all that, and then substantially higher pay-per-view. Why? Well, that's going to be the theme of the show as it relates to Jake Paul. The why has to do with the 21st century way of marketing fighters and social media popularity. That is the new economic muscle in this industry. And guys that are more popular on social media are going to sell more than guys who may be far more accomplished and much better fighters but don't necessarily have the clout on social. That's where we're at in this industry. It's not just in boxing. It's across the board and all of entertainment, not just sports, but all of entertainment. But boxing is unique because there is no league. There is no team that you're a part of, right? If, um, you know, major, I'm wearing a Chicago White Sox cap, right? That's a team that's part of a league. So if you're a player on that team, you are representing a team. And that team plays in a, in a league that is, you know, so you're represented by several different things in boxing. You're a free agent, man. You are the brand. So it's, it's very, very different. We'll talk more about this stuff is um, because I want to get into the Jake Paul thing. But before I do that, I want to rehash a little bit of the fallout, the collective freakout after Terrence Crawford dominated and stopped Errol Spence. Uh, what a week and a half ago, a little over a week ago, there was a mass freakout on certain in a certain segment of the boxing universe, particularly here in America, on Twitter, which is now X. I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. One day I'll call it X, but it's probably going to take me a while. I'm probably going to be calling it Twitter for a while, guys. Sorry. <laughs> on Twitter, on YouTube, of course, there's the, these YouTube channels, but even segments of the American boxing press. The network executives, some of the commentators have spoken up about it. So there was just this massive response and then a response to the response, which included some damage control. want to talk a little bit about this and then we're going to let it go. Okay. We're going to move forward. I admit I had some fun trolling last week. Maybe I stepped on the gas a little too much a couple of times and had to pull back, but it was five years of buildup. Forgive me, forgive people like me who um, were dealing with idiots for five years and being lied to for five years. We had a week to have a little fun. So just please forgive, forgive, but I want to, let me, let me pull back here and do a really corny sports analogy. And I admit This isn't an apples to apples comparison, but it is apples to oranges. It's fruit. It's all fruit. Okay. So what I'm saying is it is relevant. Just stick with me for a second. Okay. The NFL, National Football League, that is our American gridiron football league here in in the States. It is the most popular league that we have in American sports. Okay. It's big, big business. For those of you who don't know. There are dozens of teams and they play, there are two conferences. There is the AFC and the NFC, National Football Conference, American Football Conference, okay? I won't get into the historical and how they got there. Just listen. There's two conferences, okay? in those conferences are different divisions. So you have an AFC North, South, West, and East champion. They all play each other. There's a few wildcard teams in the playoffs. You get an AFC champion from that. Same thing on the NFC, okay? The winners of those two leagues play each other in the Super Bowl, all right? I'm going to add another one, Major League Baseball. You have the National League. You have the American League. You have a playoff system to determine the champion of the National League and then a champion of the American League. They play each other in the World Series, okay? What we often get in boxing, and here's my lame sports analogy, okay? What we often get in boxing is an NFC champion and an AFC champion, but no Super Bowl. We get a National League champion, an American League champion, but no World Series, okay? So sticking with this analogy, which I admit it isn't the greatest, but come on, you guys can see where I'm going, right? Um, Imagine if you're an NFL fan. And you've been waiting five years for the Super Bowl. You've known who the AFC, who the best team in the AFC is. You've known who the best team in the NFC is. But the people in control of the situation lied to you for five years. Let's say the AFC was the power broker in this situation. And the AFC wanted to protect their champion. So they told you for five years, oh that NFC champion, he's overrated. He ain't fought nobody. He needs to leave his promoter and come over to our side of the street. No, no, no. We're gonna, we're the AFC champion. We're gonna go ahead and just play another AFC team, and you guys can. And that will be our Super Bowl this year. Then another year comes around. Oh, you know what? We're gonna play another AFC team, even though we're already the AFC champion. You know we're the best over here on this platform. But uh, this this game. It's just as relevant as us versus the other the other guy on the NFC. Just as relevant, right? And they did this to you for five years. That is essentially what the buildup to Spence and Crawford was. Same thing in baseball. What if for five years, five seasons, you had a National League champion, an American League champion, but no World Series? On 29 July in Las Vegas, we got the welterweight Super Bowl. We got the welterweight. World Series. Okay. These were the two top guys in that division since 2018. And th- the reason why I kind of went so hard on my trolling spree and my kind of gloating, uh, rubbing it in a little bit is because there are guys like, like me. Go back and look at the track record. Okay. I'm not just saying this now. I'm not blowing smoke. Since 2018, we've been telling you the Super Bowl. Was Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford? That was the premier welterweight fight to make. Does anyone out there doubt that Terrence Crawford want, wanted that fight? Like, like, who thinks Terrence Crawford wasn't ready to fight Errol Spence right away, given what we saw a couple of weeks weeks ago? I, I think Terrence Crawford would have fought Errol Spence immediately after the Jeff Horn fight. I really, really do. Maybe take one fight in between, something like that, but he would have fought. Errol Spence as early as 2019, 2020, I absolutely believe that. And for the record, I think Errol Spence would have fought Crawford. I think Bob Arum and top rank would have made the fight that the team that did not want to make the fight was Spence's management. They didn't want to make the fight. Guys, some of you are forgetting. They tried to make Spence Thurman this year. Do you do you guys remember that? Do you remember those reports? Do you remember last year when they bumped Thurman up to number one in the sanctioning body, number one in the ratings? They used their poll and how much corruption with the sanctioning organization to bump Thurman, who has like three fights in 278 years, bump him up to number one because they wanted to delay the Crawford fight even longer. But they couldn't get a deal worked out that made sense between Crawford and Thurman, and so they went with Crawford, Spence. And I got to give Spence credit. He said, make the damn fight. I I really do think at some point Spence kind of finally put his foot down and said, listen, make the Crawford fight. And so they got it done. Uh, But don't forget, they wanted to delay it even further, guys. They wanted to do Spence versus Thurman. Remember, they wanted to do Spence versus Pacquiao, but that got messed up because um, uh, Spence had an injury. So so they've been trying to delay this thing. Okay. Um, I want to make sure that I hit on all these points. Yeah, so, so what Spence's management was basically saying, PBC, which is his promotion, PBC, Al Heyman, that whole crew, Showtime, Steven Espinoza, that whole crew, the LDBC, boxing scene, their their media outlets their fan outlets right all that entire apparatus was basically trying to minimize terence crawford marginalize bud and his importance how great he was find ways to shit on his resume find ways to make it all his fault find ways to make it bob aram's fault oh you gotta cross the street you gotta do all this that guys Crawford crossed the street over a year and a half ago. It still took these guys nearly two years to make the fight. And don't forget, they wanted to make Spence Thurman this summer. They didn't even want to make Spence Thur- uh, Crawford this summer. That's the truth. <laughs> Just go back and look at the reports. Am I missing? If I'm missing something, guys, correct me. Okay. But these were the guys telling us that Spence versus Porter, Spence versus Danny Garcia, Spence versus Mikey Garcia, Spence versus Ugas. That's the Super Bowl. Remember, these were pay-per-view fights now. The, they're trying to tell you that those fights were just as relevant, just as important as Spence versus Crawford. They went as far as to leave Crawford off of certain graphics and stuff during their broadcasts, right? And now I got to talk about this because there's, here's where the damage control comes in. I saw Steven Espinoza beating up on some of you guys on Twitter last week. And let let me just say this about Espinoza. He's a successful guy, a man in his position. Okay. A network executive should not be getting in Twitter wars with boxing fans or even boxing media for that, for, for that matter. It's a really, really bad look. It's even a worse look. When he's retweeting and liking personal attacks on Twitter, which he does all the time, and and joining in on chats where th- they're openly stating racist things, anti-Semitic things, and throwing out completely baseless conspiracy theories, and he's sitting in on these chats, dude, you're the you're the ex- you're an executive at a major premium cable network, act accordingly, dude. Act act like a professional. But I saw Espinoza going in and saying, hey, that graphic that's been shared that didn't have Terrence Crawford, that was a PBC on Fox graphic. That had nothing to do with Showtime. And even Brian Custer joined in on that. And for the record, I like Brian Custer. He's a good dude. I like Brian. I got nothing bad to say about him. Good guy. But even he joined in and said, yeah, man, this, this wasn't PBC on Showtime. We talked about Bud. And they even showed a graphic. They didn't say what fight it was from, what broadcast it was from, but they showed a graphic where they showed welterweight champions, and they had Bud on there. Bud was at the very bottom of the graphic. <laughs> there were several fighters listed above him at the top of the graphic that Bud was much, much better than. But here's where I would say I would say this right to Brian and, of course, Espinosa. Um, here's where they're not really telling the whole story, and there's a little bit of damage control here. Guys, come on. I, maybe you didn't make that one graphic that I shared last week and, and other people shared that um, left Bud off. That was a PBC on Fox graphic. Okay, that was a PBC on Fox broadcast. But you can't deny that for four or five years, you guys were trying to minimize Bud. And you were trying to sell to your fan base the notion that fights with Porter, Ugas, et cetera, were just as viable just as relevant, just as important as a fight with Bud. You were trying to minimize him. I I can't think of one instance where Jim Gray, and guys, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Jim Gray in a post-fight interview pressed Errol Spence about Terrence Crawford. He may have brought the name up. He didn't very often, but they weren't pressing him. Nobody in the commentary team, Al Bernstein, Mara Ronaldo, none of those guys were talking about Terrence Crawford and pushing that and pressing it. There was a business plan over there to basically lie for five years and push it as far as you can. And y'all tried to push it another year because you tried to make the Keith Thurman fight. So let's not pretend that didn't happen. Okay. It was you guys delaying it. You guys withheld the Super Bowl, the welterweight Super Bowl for fans for five years. Now, I understand if you didn't want to do it in 2019 you had to build up the fight a little bit. Okay. I understand if you didn't want to do it during COVID because there was the lockdown. Okay. And then you wanted to wait till fans are back. I'll give you a pass for all that. But 2021, bro, fight should have happened. 2022 rematch should have happened. Summer of 2023, we should have just seen the rubber match. That's where we're at. That's what should have happened. It should have at least been the rematch this year. Definitely not the first fight. And that is on you guys. It is. Okay. Further, just, just a further look at this, okay? Since 2018, as I mentioned, the best fight, Spence and Crawford. Don't give me Keith Thurman because Thurman has had three fights since 2017. At one point, In the mid-2010s, Thurman was the top welterweight. He was the guy, right? He had his brief little run. And I talked about this on Twitter today. You could argue. I'm not saying definitively, but you can argue that Keith Thurman at his best was just as good, if not maybe slightly better than Errol Errol Spence at his absolute best. But both guys had fundamental flaws. Thurman just kind of became a semi-retired fighter. After like 2015, 2016, and like as I mentioned, he's had had three fights since 2017, I believe. So so he's been semi-retired. And for Spence, his lifestyle outside the ring kind of really, really messed things up for him in the last few years. So both of these guys had some flaws about them, their personality, their makeup, whatever, that affected their career. But they had little runs where they were seen as ranked as the top guy. But I don't know. Look, again, from 2018 on, I always said, go back and look at the record. I always said that Terrence Crawford was the best welterweight in the world. I wasn't mad at you if you rated Errol Spence, number one, because he had unified titles. But I always thought Bud was the best. I've been pretty consistent on that. Anyway, since 2018, in 2018, Errol Spence fought, in 2018, Terrence Crawford fought Jeff Holland, got the WBO belt. Okay. That same year, uh, Spence fought Lamont Peterson and Carlos Ocampo. I believe Carlos Ocampo was his last mandatory. So this guy has been able to go without a mandatory for about four or five years. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Everyone. 2019, he fights Mikey Garcia and Sean Porter. 2020, he fights Danny Garcia. Doesn't fight in 2021 at all. They were trying to make the fight with Manny Pacquiao. Right. And then 2022 fights, Jordanus Ugas. So I'm looking at that resume. Guys, none of those fights comes within a mile of the fight with Errol Spence. The only fight that I can pr- like actually see them doing because of the business behind it would be the fight with Mandy Pacquiao. I could see that, even though I, I, I didn't like that fight. Uh, looking back, though, and seeing what Mandy did to Keith Thurman and how Spence just looked you know, Manny might've had a decent shot in that fight, but just, I think Spence would have won and it would have maybe got ugly for Pacquiao at one point. I mean, the guy was like 40 something at that point, but I could see from a business commercial point of view why they would do that fight before Crawford. Okay, got that. But these other fights, Ugas, Danny Garcia, really Sean Porter, Mikey Garcia, Lamont Peterson, the, the Ocampo fight, whatever, that's a mandatory, but all those other fights, you're telling me those were better than Terrence Crawford fights? I understand Terrence Crawford wasn't this huge commercial success, but he was certainly a bigger name than all those fighters I just listed. Possible exception being Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia, though, was a blown-up featherweight. You can't tell me that was a better fight than than the Terrence Crawford fight. Um, Let's look at the titles Spence won, because a lot is made about these titles, and he cleaned out the division. He beat Kell Brook in uh, 2017 to get the IBF belt, okay? Then in 2019, he gets the WBC belt off of Sean Porter. Porter had won a vacant belt, the vacant WBC belt from Danny Garcia in 2018. So there was hardly any lineage with that WBC belt. That was a PBC in-house special between Mauricio Suleiman and Al Heyman. That's what that was. All right. Then in 2022, uh, he fights Jordanus Ugas for the WBA belt that went back to before Ugas, Pacquiao had it. Before him, Thurman had it, right? So that had a little bit of lineage to it. But if you actually look at where Keith Thurman won that belt, Keith Thurman won the interim WBA belt against Leonard Bundo in 2014. Then he was elevated in 2015 after Floyd Mayweather retired because Floyd had the quote-unquote full title or super title, whatever the hell it is. Thurman defended that interim belt that he was upgraded to full champion After Floyd left, after Floyd retired, he defended that belt five times in five years. So, 2015 up to 2019. In five years, he defends that. So, once a year for five years, and then loses to Pacquiao in 2019. That's the lineage of those belts. Okay. The the belt that actually had the strongest lineage of the three was the IBF that he won off of Kel Brook because Brook had won that belt off of Sean Porter handing him his first professional loss and then defended it multiple times. But I repeat, as I mentioned before, Kel Brook in that fight with Spence was coming down 13 pounds off of facial reconstructive surgery and a brutal knockout loss to Gennady Golovkin, who at the time was the most devastating offensive fighter in the sport. So all things considered, there's plenty of asterisks and holes in this great Hall of Fame resume that we were sold for five years. So I just want to put that out there. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it with this, okay? And then we'll move forward, I promise. What would have been refreshing is for that entire side that tried to bamboozle everybody for five years, if they could have just owned it, if Steven Espinoza could have put out a statement saying, congratulations to Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, on a great fight, two warriors. We're proud of both of you. Thank you to the fans who supported this event. We wish we could have made this one sooner. That was at least partially our fault. We own that. We'll do better in the future to bring you fights like this sooner because that's what the fans deserve. Something like that. Now, let me ask you guys, would would that make any difference to you if, if that was the stance that everybody on that side was taking or would it not matter to you? Am I just being corny with all this? If the LDBC could just accept the Super Bowl champion as being Terrence Crawford, he won the welterweight Super Bowl a week and a half ago, and just give him his flowers and say, congrats, bro. Wow. Thinking back to, to continue with the Super Bowl analogy, I'm thinking back to the Dallas Cowboys dynasty where they won like three Super Bowls within a few years. And there was one of those Super Bowls where they played the Buffalo Bills who were the four-time straight AFC champions. They went to four straight Super Bowls, okay? So they were the best team in the AFC in that era. And Dallas beat them, I want to say it was like 55 to 10, one of those Super Bowls. It was a shellacking dude. They destroyed them. Destroyed the absolute best team in the AFC four years running. Slaughtered them 55 to 10 because that Dallas Cowboys dynasty team was one of the best teams in the history of the NFL, maybe the best. Okay. I I don't know. Patriots, their dynasty is better, but they're up there with like the Steelers dynasty of the seventies. They're up there, right? That's what this was. This was 55 to 10 Dallas Cowboys, Buffalo bills. That's what Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence was. It wasn't close. It wasn't competitive. This was about as decisive as it gets. So what if everyone on that side of the street just owned it and just said, you know what? Bud really is special. He really is that guy. Wow. Spence is good. He's he's good. Tough fighter. But Bud is generational. You could put Bud in any welterweight era and he competes. Can't say the same with Errol Spence. That's it if they could just leave it at that. But of course they haven't. And that's why guys like me kind of had to troll a little bit and have a little fun. So that's where we're at guys. All right. <clears throat> All right. Let's uh, get a couple super chats here then I will move forward. Tretton on Prio with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, people think Tank can beat Bud. Andre versus Benavides. Okay, the le- le- two good ones here. So yeah, I've seen um, people on that side of the street, okay, out there on Twitter and stuff. And I'm sure you guys have seen these posts where they're talking about Gervonta Davis fighting Terrence Crawford and that he would beat them. And and here's again, here's what makes it worse. There was a, I think it was a Twitter chat. Like you, you, Twitter has these rooms where it's like a chat room and you verbally like audio talk, right? Um, it's kind of like a Google Hangout back in the day. I don't even know if they still have those, but Twitter kind of has a feature like that. And there was one where they were discussing this and Gervonta Davis was on that chat and he was basically saying, yeah, I'd smoke, bud. I, 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 I'd beat, I'd beat Crawford's ass basically is what he was saying. And all these LDBC guys in that chat were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so now that's the big thing, right? If I'm tanks management, I'm going to him and saying, dude, could you stop going in these chats with these people? These, these fucking people accused Tyson Fury of attempted murder against Deontay Wilder. And they accused Kenny Bayless and the Nevada State Athletic Commission and Mark Breland in colluding with attempted murder. They talked about uh, Wilder's autopsy, showed a dent in his forehead, and that was proof that uh, Fury had egg weights. These people are fucking nut jobs, dude. Could you please not go in these chats? Because I guarantee you guys. Those sorts of conversations are happening at other platforms, okay? We've seen Shakur Stevenson fuck up. Remember he got in that uh, fight in a parking lot, right? He's made some weird social media posts and stuff. Trust me when I say, okay, there are people talking to him and coaching him a little bit. Hey, hey you may not want to do this. You're selling a brand, Okay. So so there are other promoters on other parts of the boxing world that are having these conversations with fighters. Don't go in some whack job chat room talking about conspiracies and racism and all this stuff. You probably should disassociate from that. Right. Um, so yeah, Trent, to your point, these people are just freaking nuts. Now, they're talking about Demetrius Andrade versus David Benavides. I find this to be hilarious. Um, Andrade started his career at 154 pounds. Benavides is a former fat kid who weighed over 200 pounds, who bust his ass to make 168. Andrade is going to be faster, um, maybe a little trickier with his offense and stuff, but Benavides is just going to roll downhill on him and basically Jarrett hurt him. To death. Uh Errol spends him to death. I like Benavidez in that fight. Is it really that interesting of a fight to you guys? It doesn't interest me, but I'd rather them fight each other than not fight anybody, right? Than just sit around their ass. Now, if that's on regular showtime, that's a decent fight on regular showtime. If that's pay-per-view, oh good luck with that. <clears throat> Sam with the super chat. Thank you, brother. He says, Manny was going to fight Spence, whereas Freddie said Manny, never fight TC ever. That's a great point, Sam. That is a fantastic point. When Manny Pacquiao was with Top Rank, um, Top Rank was entertaining the possibility of having Manny Pacquiao fight Terrence Crawford. This goes back a few years, guys, because you got to remember, this is back when Top Rank still had Manny and and, uh, Crawford. So, this goes back several years, but Freddie Roach and Manny's team said, dude, we don't need that man in our lives. We ain't going near him. It was Manny Pacquiao, not Bob Aram, that prevented that fight from happening. Bob Aram was interested in it and talked about it. Go back, you can pull up the interviews where he talked about it. It was Manny and his team that said, we don't need to go near this dude. What's interesting is several years after that, Manny's team was willing to fight Errol Spence. Make of that what you will. <clears throat> okay. I think we're caught up now. <sighs> Robert Blake says, uh, Robert Blake says, please no NFL sports comparisons, just boxing. All right. All right. Look, man, I... I was proud of my comparison. Come on, it's applicable, man. Because in boxing, we don't get the Super Bowl often enough, all right? And, And by the way, guys, when I say Super Bowl, that doesn't necessarily mean undisputed, because that shit's all political. There's plenty of times where we know who the two best fighters in a division are. They might have one or two belts between them, maybe even no belts. It doesn't matter. I don't give a shit about undisputed. I really don't. It's an accomplishment, okay? But I don't rate it as highly as number one versus number two. Canelo Alvarez cleaned out 168 a couple of years ago. Undisputed. He never fought the number one challenger. That was Benavidez. I would rate him beating Benavidez once over all the other guys he beat combined because he's the number one guy. So it'd be number one versus number two. That's what I'm looking at. Anyway, let's talk about Jake Paul, everyone's favorite. This uh, past Saturday, August 5th in Dallas. on I think this was regular DAZN. Wow, DAZN gave you guys a fight without going straight to pay-per-view. And they actually had a fight card without like porn stars fighting each other and taking off their top. And so that was, all right, DAZN, they're back, baby. John Paul, or John Paul, Jake Paul (laughs) wins a unanimous decision over Nate Diaz, bounces back from his first loss earlier this year. Okay. The Jake Paul thing, the Jake Paul experiment, as I call it, continues to march on. It's not going to end anytime soon. They're going to be back in the ring. Uh, if not by the end of the year, then definitely the beginning of next year. And they're going to continue doing the same formula, beating up on these guys who don't know how to box. And they're like 500 years old um, because it's worked for them so far. So Jake Paul is a mixture of good and bad and ugly. Um, There are some things, believe it or not, he actually does very, very well from a business standpoint, better than about 99% of boxers today, definitely American boxers. And um, a lot of his success is self-made. So the guy deserves credit. I'll also give him this. He trains hard. He trains his butt off. He dedicates himself to it. He's been training consistently now, living as a professional prize fighter for several years. He's been living that life. So he does deserve some credit. Paul went pro in 2020. Okay, so he's been a pro for almost four full years now. He's had eight opponents. And um, there was a layoff, I think, you know, of course, during 2020. And there was, I think, one, the the Huey Fury fight got delayed a couple times. That wasn't his fault. That was Fury's fault. But interesting enough, five of his eight opponents we're making their professional boxing debut. So that lets you know the level of his opposition, but they've been able to get names from other sports and get them in a boxing ring and use those names to market to gullible casual fans who thought these guys had a chance in hell. And they've done very well with that. They've been very successful. So Paul makes a lot of people angry in the boxing business and people that are normally very, very intelligent, just get really stupid when it comes to this guy. For some reason, it's, um, it's interesting to watch, um, including friends of mine, like people that I really respect and think are pretty smart and have intelligent takes. Most of the time, This Jake Paul stuff. They just seem to be missing it. I see a lot of people going and I hate, I hate to go here guys, but it's not me saying this. A lot of people saying, Jake Paul, everything he has is white privilege. He He's only getting these fights because of white privilege. Pardon my language, but that's about the stupidest fucking take I've heard. Do you know what privilege Jake Paul has? Jake Paul has the, I have tens of millions of social media followers and billions of social media views privilege. That's the privilege he has. It has not a fucking thing to do with where his ancestors come from. That's the weakest, lowest hanging fruit you can pluck from the tree. Do better. Think a little more critically. And I'm including friends of mine in on that comment because I've seen friends of mine say that and like I want to respond and I'm just like, "Ah, just just leave that alone. Just leave that alone. Okay. Just to put this into perspective, guys, I checked this today. Jake Paul has 20 million followers on YouTube, 20 million. By comparison, top rank boxing has 2.3 million. Showtime boxing is 1.7 million. So Jake Paul has more than five times the combined social media following of top rank and Showtime combined. And that's just on YouTube. I continue. He has one point. Oh, I'm sorry. Jake Paul has 17, no, I'm skipping ahead. He has 24 million followers on Instagram. Top rank has 1.7 million and Showtime has 2 million. So once again, his following dwarfs these platforms, the entire platform, his TikTok following 17 million, 17 million. He has four and a half million Twitter followers. Top rank has 650,000. Showtime has 350,000, okay? And I can keep going across more platforms and I can compare him to other fighters and other athletes, other celebrities. Guys, this dude is a superstar. I'm not saying I get it. I don't understand it. He, He became famous for stupid pranks that I would never watch, but that's how he became famous, okay? Kim Kardashian's famous for doing nothing but banging a B-rate pop star. That's it. Like, some people are famous for, I don't know why, but Jake Paul's famous. Now, for people 30 and over, it's hard to think of somebody being famous if they're not on TV because we grew up with TV. So when you think famous, you think of people on TV or on radio, you know, something like that. But Jake Paul isn't. Jake Paul is famous from social media. He's famous from YouTube, TikTok, what have you. He's a celebrity in the modern social media era. And that is what he brings to the table. He has more economic muscle through that following than 98% of professional prize fighters today. That's not a, it's probably 99%. That shouldn't be a controversial statement, okay? That is why Jake Paul is getting fights on premium cable, Uh, you know, these these sports platforms uh, across the spectrum. He's fought on every damn platform. It's why he's headlining pay-per-views. It's because of that following he brings. Throughout the history of boxing, shit, throughout the history of sports, but particularly boxing, there have always been celebrities that have dabbled in the the sports world for fun. In boxing, celebrity boxing goes back to the beginning. We have former presidents who were boxers in college and stuff like that, right? Um, Celebrity boxing has always been a thing. And in the modern era, that is gonna mean a, a guy on social media who has a big social media following. Jake Paul's not the only one doing it. He just has, he's the one doing it who has the biggest following. Guys, if the weekend decided he was gonna do professional boxing, does anybody doubt? But literally, if the weekend tomorrow said, yo, I've been training for six months, I'm gonna fight, he named some pop star, I'm gonna fight this dude on pay-per-view. That does a million buys. Easy. The weekend goes pro million buys. He would get all the same hoopla and, and, and energy that Jake Paul is getting because of his following. The WBC would be interested in ranking them showtime and does would be scratching at each other, trying to, you know, get that fight. Does anyone deny this? That's basically what this kid's doing. And, and so I'm not mad at Jake Paul. Jake Paul is not a, he's not the problem. He's not the virus. He's a symptom of the problem or the virus. And he's just a smart guy who works hard, who's taking advantage of it all because he sees a a massive flaw and opportunity for him in this industry. Why does that make you all so fucking mad? is Jake Paul ranked by any ratings organization at present? He's not. Has he fought for any world titles? Is he on anyone's pound for pound list? Has, has he won fight of the year honors or round of the year or knockout of the year? Remember he had some pretty big knockouts in some of those fights. That Tyrone Woodley knockout. Who's that basketball player? He, he, he destroyed some those knockouts were among the top knockouts of the year. Did he win any awards? then why are you all so mad? If he was getting accolades and all this, okay, i understand it. But right now, all he's doing is he's taking advantage of his following and milking it and making money off it. How is it any fucking different than Tank Davis and his team using Ryan Garcia and his social media following to profit when they did that fight earlier this year? That's exactly what they did. How is it different? I'm not comparing Gervonta Davis and Jake Paul's boxing skills or accomplishments. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the business model. Same fucking model. Y'all are really mad at this dude. You should, you, don't hate the player, hate the game. Be mad at the game. Don't be mad at him. Now, here's where I will take issue. If Marisa, if Marisa Suleman tried... If Paul had beat Huey Fury, Slumon was going to rate him in the WBC Cruiserweight ratings. When that stuff starts happening, then I'm going to speak up. Okay. Uh, Although at this point I'm unplugged from giving a shit about any of this stuff. So I'm just saying guys, that's the privilege Jake Paul brings in. It's, it's really not a privilege. It's something he earned. I I, again, I don't get it. I'm not a Jake Paul subscriber. Never watched this shit on YouTube. I don't understand it don't understand the appeal. I'm not a moron. So that's just whatever. If you're into that, cool. I I shouldn't say you're a moron. If you're into that, I just don't get it. But he earned that following. He built himself up and he's worked in the gym and gotten himself in shape and learned how to box a little bit. And he's made a business out of it. I ain't mad at the guy. I, I think he's learned a thing or two from looking at what Floyd Mayweather has done from looking at like what Javante Davis has done, even from like what Mike Tyson has done, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones and stuff, just kind of looking at some of those promotions, they've learned a thing or two and they've done pretty well with it. So anyway, that's where I'm at with that. Um, Look, obviously, if Jake Paul steps up and fights an actual boxer again, he's going to lose again. Um, Maybe at some point he can improve. If he actually did, and he, like, rematch Fury and beat him. Well, good for him, man. Good for him. He's still not getting on my pound-for-pound pound list. Okay. Chris Singh with the Super Chat. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it, man. You are awesome. He says, I think my fellow Philly native Boots versus Thurman would be a great matchup. Keith doesn't deserve to get Bud or Spence now, and it would be the perfect step up for Boots. Maybe for vacated belts, since I hear Crawford is already planning to go to 154. I hope all is well. Hey, man, I would love to see Jerron Boots Ennis in there against Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, Bud Crawford. I don't think he's going to get any of those fights, brother. I don't think those guys want to fight him. The only way Thurman would fight him is if he was given an, an unbelievable amount of money. He'd have to be grossly overpaid to even consider doing that fight. That's not going to happen because the the economic power, uh, j- to just piggyback off of everything I just talked about with Jake Paul, um, Boots is the antithesis of that. He has absolutely zero economic muscle uh, that he brings to the table, no following. So there's just way too much risk and not enough reward for Thurman to do it or Spencer Crawford. They have, they have options. I mean, Thurman could be Errol Spence's get-back fight. They, they were talking about making that fight, and they were actually talking about making it at 154 before. Remember that? So so he could be Spence's get-back fight. He could maybe even fight Bud at 154. Um, all three of those guys have options. They ain't going near Geron Dennis. He's just too dangerous for them. Boots is going to have to fight the guys available for him in the division. Take a page out of Terrence Crawford's playbook. Just get in there and dominate the guys that you fight and get better, and focus on your craft, and know that that big, big fight will eventually happen. Um, But it's going to be a tough road for him ahead. It really is. Sam with another super chat. Thank you so much. He says, Diaz couldn't hurt Tim Anderson with those slaps. Oh, shit. Yeah. Guys, um, so Nate Diaz, look, I'm not even going to sit here and diss the guy. He's an MMA fighter. He, those guys, this is no disrespect to MMA. There are some MMA fighters in the gym I train at. Those guys are strong, they're cardio freaks. Um, they're strong, tough fighters, man. They can't punch, they just can't. It's not something that they do very well. Oh, their stand up is great in the AFC. This such and such fighter has got great stand up, he's among the best in the UFC. Okay, that's like being the world's tallest midget when they come over into boxing it doesn't matter. So yeah, Diaz, you know, was slapping at uh, Jake Paul. Couldn't put a dent in him. Not at all surprising. By the way, I didn't watch one second of that fight. Actually, I actually haven't watched one second of Jake Paul's entire career. I've seen some highlights and stuff of the knockouts, but that's it. Tim Anderson um, got slapped. I can't remember the, the, this is a baseball player, major. to circle back to my major league baseball reference. There was a scuffle between two teams this weekend. I can't remember the teams or the players involved, but this one dude threw a very weak roundhouse slap of a right hand. It landed on this Tim Anderson dude and he passed out. It was hilarious. And it just showed how the average man, even a a world-class athlete in another sport, they cannot take punches. It just wasn't even a proper punch. And and that guy dropped. And by the way, Tim Anderson's, a complete piece of shit he's he's not a good person so that was awesome that that happened to him he deserved it he's not a good person so i was happy to see that couldn't have happened to a bigger piece of shit all right oh shit chris bergen (laughs) thank you chris chris bergen just corrected me he says it was tommy fury you keep saying huey fury holy shit dude (laughs) was that tells you how i didn't even watch the fight man you're right though it was tommy fury why did i think it was huey fury i don't know why i thought that but yeah you're right you're totally right it was tommy fury um because yeah huey fury is better than tommy he's not great but he's definitely better than tommy so yeah i don't think um my bad, Chris. My, my bad, everybody, because I've probably said it eight times during that segment. Okay, let's uh, real quick, guys, preview uh, this Saturday, August 12th. Top Rank has a show, Glendale, Arizona, ESPN. In the main event, Emmanuel Navarrete going up against Oscar Valdez for Navarrete's WBO junior lightweight title. That should be an interesting, fun scrap. That should be a good one. That's probably the best fight. Actually, yeah, it's definitely the best fight of the entire weekend. The rest of the matchups are pretty flimsy. Uh, also on this card, Raymond Muratala, Murataya of uh, Southern California, 18 0, a lightweight prospect. He's, uh, he's featured on that card. And undefeated uh, California native heavyweight prospect, Richard Torres, 5 0, also on that undercard. Matchroom from London on the zone Philip Pergamich going up against Dempsey McKean who has a very, very poor resume. Hergovich coming off a one-year layoff. He had that really, really rough fight with Zhang uh, a year ago, last August. Returning from that layoff to fight McKean. I like Hergovich big in that fight. That's a complete showcase for him. And then Derek Tresor versus Gerald Washington. Um, that could be fun because it's two big heavyweights. That could be the second-best matchup or second-best fight on paper. Of the weekend, but man, Jared Washington has been stopped in five of his last seven fights going back to 2017. If Chasaur is on point for this one and in shape, it could get ugly. We shall see. PB is a show in Maryland on Showtime. Emmanuel Rodriguez going up against Melvin Lopez, who has a very poor resume for the vacant IBF bantamweight belt. Um, Lopez has stepped up once in his career in 2019. He fought Jose Velasquez and was knocked out. So this is a showcase fight for Rodriguez. What Lopez is doing in a title fight. I couldn't tell you, but it is what it is. Okay. Let's, uh, let's see if we can take a couple calls real quick. Uh, we got to make these quick guys and we'll go through as many as I can. And then uh, we're going to wrap it up. All right. So let's start with the UK. Seven nine six, you're on the show. What's up? UK caller. Can you hear me? Uh-oh. Okay. Let me try this again. Let me refresh. Hello. Oh, yeah. Hamed, is that you? Yeah, how's it going? What's yeah. up, man?
1: I thought about that. Yeah, I was just seeing, I was gonna see. I didn't even catch everything you were seeing, but do you think if a rematch between Crawford and Spence was to happen uh, at one fifty four, do you think it would be different? Because 'Cause I've already seen guys and like Mayweather and these PBC fans say that Spence was weight trade, but I don't think I don't think he was before the fight that was not the case. And if he won I don't think all this would have been brought up.
0: Yeah, Hamed, um that's I didn't specifically talk about that in my rant earlier, but it's indicative of the kind of excuses that have been coming from that side. And look, Errol Spence has been a welterweight his entire career. He's never had an issue making weight. Now suddenly he loses. Oh, he was weight drained. Well, was he weight drained in his other 30 some odd fights? Um, he's held these welterweight belts and the organizations have had no problem sanctioning him for their, their championships. Um, I think that's just an excuse. If they do a rematch at one fifty four, I do agree that it plays out differently. You know how it plays out differently? Bud will get him out of there in less than half a fu- half the fight. He'll get him out of there in five or six rounds that time. It doesn't matter what weight it's at. Crawford is just better, and he's figured out Spence now. It took him a round and a half to figure Spence out. Now that he's figured him out, it's going to be one way traffic. There's zero need for a rematch. absolutely zero need,
1: yeah. I didn't manage to call in. I think it was uh, last week. But I did uh, I did score that fight round by round when I was watching live. And I rewatched it. I, f- I still thought Spence only wasn't round. I know a lot of people thought he wasn't the first round. But I thought the first round, Crawford still was doing the better work. But those are the only two rounds he was competitive in. I thought Cal Brook was uh, having more success early on against Crawford then Spence. I just think Crawford's got his number, but I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch because the meltdown and everything I'm seeing online, I don't know how these guys will react if if Crawford fights him again and beats him up even worse because a lot of these guys are the same people that are seeing Crawford as a fourth-day who hasn't beaten anyone. They were denigrating and discrediting his accomplishments and his resume, but I always thought Crawford's win over Victor Postal was better than majority of Spence's wins and I think that win and the fact that he cleaned that weight class out was being overlooked because Spence has been a welterweight his entire career and although I give him credit for some of these wins, even the Brook and the Porter win, he still it took him like ten years to finally get the undisputed fight. And even when he was fighting guys like Mikey Garcia and Sean Porter and Danny Garcia, he couldn't stop or even drop some of these guys. So I, I, I thought he was always overrated. I had no problem with him being ranked pound for pound, like top 10, or even after the Ugas fight, maybe top six or seven, something like that. But after the Brooks fight, I thought way too many people to start putting him up too high, like after this one fight, which was against a guy coming off a bad loss as well.
0: Yeah. I'm with you, man. I I agree with you. Um look, I, I just I honestly don't need to see a rematch. I think it'd be much more interesting to see Bud move up and fight somebody like Jermell Charlo after he loses to Canelo. Uh, he'll he'll go the distance with Canelo. He won't get knocked down or anything. He'll he'll just lose a decision. So Jermell Charlo versus Terrence Crawford next year to me is a way more interesting fight. I'd much rather see that.
1: But that will have to wait, though, because Charlo's fighting Canelo at 168. Uh, I personally don't really think that's a great fight because I would have rather seen Canelo fight Benavidez than Charlo fight Tim Zhu. But yeah. he's gonna, Crawford's going to have to fight someone next. That's not going to be Charlo. So he's either going to have to be someone like Spence, maybe Tim Zo. I wouldn't mind the Geron Ennis fight because the thing I didn't like about Crawford, uh, saying uh, that he's going to move up is a 140 and a 147. He, although he'll become the Undisputed Champion, he hasn't really defended the title. I know for some people that doesn't mean anything, but I do like it when guys stick around. Like what Usyk did at Cruiserweight, he pretty much cleaned out the division. Then he uh, fought Bellu and knocked that guy out decisively. So there was no question like... Uh, or any question marks of anyone else who was even a challenge or someone who was worthy of really fighting him at that time. So I wouldn't mind Crawford fighting any, but I don't think that fight's going to happen because of, uh, because of the business aspect. And I think Crawford just after big fights at the moment.
0: Yeah, honestly, I don't blame him at this point. Um, you know, if, if they can make a big fight next year for him at 154, that'd be great. PBC has a lot of fighters there. Uh, for the record, from what I hear, Bud is a free agent. People keep calling him a PBC fighter. There's no set contract right now between the two of them. I know they're negotiating. But as far as I know, he's a free agent. And he can kind of do what he wants to do. Um, so you I think he, more fight left in a, with PBC, that I think PBC has options on him and stuff like that. But, like, I don't think he has to do exactly what they tell him to do. I think he can kind of do what he wants. But he's definitely going to want big money fights. He's going to want a, a couple of name fights and then he's going to hang it up. He's he's going to want to fight for a title at 154 so he can have a title in a fourth weight class and then get a couple of big money defenses or something like that and then and then call it a career. Uh, and, you know, I think he's earned that. But uh, I got to run. Yeah. I got some other calls to jump all to. Right,
1: all right, Eric.
0: All, all, right, th- all right. I, I was going be- to say one last
1: thing before I go. go I, I do think, though, I don't think he'll probably fight once more with PBC if he's against Spence, because Spence has the right to activate that rematch. But before I go, I was just going to make a comment. I don't know what you think about it. You know, with this whole uh, pay-per-view, sorry, numbers, uh, whose number is more reliable, Glazer or Dan? Because I've seen people going back and forth, but I'm not sure who's more credible, because Dan, I think he's, you know he was a good writer but at the moment some of his uh reporting and that to me seems like he's tra- trying to uh stay on side with pbc or trying to yeah, get yeah jobs. He, I he's an establishment he's guy anti-PBC.
0: yeah rick is very anti-pbc what is what is rick's <laughs> number and what is dan's number dan's number is like 650 right but what is rick's 550 or
1: 500. Okay, like that. so th- I then know who to believe. The I'd problem.
0: split the difference yeah. and call it 600, which is what I did on this show. It's right around 600,000 buys. I'd split the difference. Uh, but again, they're bickering over 100,000, who Honestly, yeah. Yeah. who gives a shit? It's not like one guy's saying 200,000, the other guy's saying 900,000. They're bickering over 100,000. Um, either way, a fight yeah, of this dude. magnitude should have done a mil and a half, 2 million. And you know it's not, and there's a reason for that, so anyway, but I gotta jump to the next right. call, man yeah, yeah, all right thanks but yeah guys, um to me, that's the greater story here is the six hundred thousand number um and again, whether it's slightly over that, slightly under it, whatever, six hundred thousand pay-per view buys when you when you're being outperformed when the when the welterweight Super Bowl that's been five years in the making is being outperformed by uh, two so, well, a, a very unproven fighter beating up on a social media fighter, which is what Davis Garcia was, uh, when you're being outperformed by that, it, it, it should tell everyone something. Like, like marketing matters, social media following definitely matters, um, personality, all, all of it, promoting, it all matters. And it was really easy for PBC and their legion of unpaid interns on, on Twitter and YouTube to say, oh, Top Rank hasn't promoted Terrence Crawford. They haven't promoted him. They haven't made a name. They haven't done this. Well, PBC's had a year and a half to work with Bud, and they promoted the fight with him and Spence. By the way, Spence, his his fights do around 300,000 pay-per-view buys. He's certainly not a superstar, Okay. These two did a fight. It did around 600,000 pay-per-view buys. So it's easy for them now to sit back and say, oh, remember remember all those comments for years, guys? Bob Aram isn't promoting them. They've failed uh, Bud. He's not a star. Bud just doesn't have that personality. He's just not a breakthrough personality. He doesn't care about that shit. He cares about his legacy, going in the ring and doing his job. That's what he cares about. He doesn't care about the other stuff. So he doesn't go the extra mile on social media and with all the media stuff. He just doesn't, he never will. He's not that guy. Okay. Real quick. Let's take a couple more quick calls. Uh, let's go to five, five, nine. What's up? you on the show.
2: Hey, what's up, Mike? It's me, Miguel, man. What's up? How you doing?
3: What's up, Miguel? I'm doing well, brother.
2: Uh, just right here with the baby and the, uh... The girlfriend, and we're just right here. We say what's up. Hi to everyone. Um, It's been a very, very uh, revealing past. How long has it been since the fight? About a week? About a week. Two yeah. weeks almost?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's... uh, When I say it's brought out the loomies from the woodwork, it's brought out the crazies, man. Like, these guys... There's this dude called Dr. 805 on um, BDA Boxing, the crazy-ass boxing channel. Talking about, uh, there were signs of neurological damage before and after the fight. Um, Edelon's and, an and expert, you know something man, is, is real. yeah, was yeah. an expert and, and the only one not giving excuses is Errol Spence Jr. There you go. You, yeah. know, what you know what so like that, That's a great point,
0: Miguel. <laughs> and you know what? We need to double down on that because that that's an outstanding point. You know. When all those guys were freaking out about Wilder Fury and they made all those excuses, Wilder bought into that shit and like played into it, right? And he talked about it. Spence, to his credit, hasn't uh-huh. gone that route. Yeah. He hasn't played into any of that bullshit. And he's just given Crawford his credit. So massive credit and massive props to Errol Spence for not even going along with that bullshit from these
2: idiots out there. I I really think. And, and before I, I, I finish up this call, I'm going to be fairly quick because I know we got all the callers, but I'll, I'm going to make a few points and I'm going to use certain words that people are not going to like, but at the end of the day, it's the truth. And the, the truth prevails, man. And as we've seen, for last uh, last show, not the last show you did, but the one before that, I made a point saying, hey, BBC Al Heyman, you know, had have, have duped everyone, including these fighters, into going along with this straight up plantation Uncle Tom system. I'm going to straight up say it, dude. You know, you uh, on top of all the horrible decisions that we've seen, like robberies-wise, like on Showtime and PVC, the the crappy-ass uh, stoppage with Raleigh Romero when the old man was beating him, all this stuff, that's just a taste. What you really got to look at is how they work and operate. Errol Spence didn't make excuses because he... At at that point, during the promotion, I think, like, leading him to the fight, he was basically realizing, holy shit, uh, they've been holding me back. And now they're pitting me up against this dude? It's like, "Uh uh-oh. And a little bit of the truth came out. It's like saying, okay, Al Heyman, that's the plantation owner. The PVC fighters, those are the slaves. I'm a straight-up slave. I don't give a damn what anyone says, dude. That's the way I see it. Um, In the days of slavery, there was two types of slaves there was a field negro and the house negro and this is a quote from malcolm X. you can hear it on his speech the house negro and the field negro these guys that they pop up they're an example for all these other guys to, to to follow thinking that's a good example and it's not you don't you don't hold someone's um greatness back you don't you don't blatantly violate the Muhammad Ali Act. That's another thing nobody even wants to talk about because it's so prevalent these days. Dude, these promoters got these sanctioning organizations in their pockets. And that's literally what Muhammad Ali fought and died for for it. Not he had a fucking Congress bill passed that said you cannot monopolize this shit. We are contract workers at the end of the day, dude. We are our own brand. You know what I mean? But look what happens with all these crazy ass people thinking okay well we can do this and that try to follow the mayweather blueprint this and that it's all bullshit dude it's all about control and bud crawford broke all that now um it might it might sound a little harsh but it's true dude like you know we gotta we gotta wake up and and smell the coffee man like don't let people control you in any aspect of your life like i understand we all got you know jobs and we all got bosses and this and that but come on dude the division. And Now that I'm talking about it It was held back Longer than five years it, It's been held back Since Since fans um, Came into the picture You know what I mean And And Systematically Since PVC has started They have put their foothold To hold back And own the division Illegally And with such corruption. And every weight class From the bottom up uh, Fulton and then Tank Davis Doing all this stupid shit From like 126 To all the way to 140 Dude All that All, they, all those fights Got held back We barely got Ryan Garcia versus Tim Davis, two prospects that were propped up as pay-per-view stars. Shit like that. And who is responsible for this? Al Heyman. Dude, I'm not going to say his name, right? But there's some guy that's that's promoting my fights right now. He's promoting a lot of us right now. Down in Tijuana. I'm not going to say his name. He is best friends with the Mayweather. He kicks you with the dad. He's he's the one that got me a picture with, with with Floyd Senior. Okay? He went with Crawford. At the end of the day, a lot of these PVC dudes that are making their picks So like, hey, you know what? Uh, the dupe is over. Uh, we got to keep it real now. Crawford's going to destroy these guys. And, and, hey, there was only a few of those guys that did that, but I gave them props because, like you said, not even the commentators. For years, this is like some weird-ass, uh, like Orwellian shit, 1984. Dude, they wouldn't even... Ma- if you mentioned Bud Crawford's name, working for Showtime and PVC, you will get fired. Or if you think I'm playing, look what happened to Pauly Malinaji.
0: Yeah, you're getting into some sensitive stuff, though, with that, man. Um, Miguel, I got to jump to some other calls, man.
2: All right, man. Fight the power. God bless you, Mike. (laughs) All
0: right. Thanks, Miguel. Um, Thank you, boss. Thank you. And look, guys, my thing is here on this show, I want to give everybody a chance to say what they feel. As long as you keep it respectful, even if it's controversial and, I always want to give you guys um, a, an opportunity to say, you know, what you feel. Um, so Miguel made, uh, you know, his, his feelings known on this whole thing. Look, I don't like those kinds of me personally. I don't like those kinds of comparisons because it kind of undermines the horrors of, of that era um, in in this country. And then where it still continues around the world. So I don't, I personally do not like those comparisons. However, um, I could see why people are frustrated with that business model. And look, Miguel made a point about the welterweight division being held back. You know, man, when you look back, Spence has been around for over a decade, it's taken him over a decade to get this undisputed fight, right? Crawford was able to clean up 140 in a couple of years. Um, in a way, we saw what he did at Bantamweight clean that out in a couple of years. Usyk at um, away, clean that out in a, in a couple of years. I, um, so these divisions can be cleaned out rather quickly. And I don't even just mean with undisputed. I just mean with fighting the top names. You can do it quicker. It does. You don't need over a decade. So there, there's just a track record over there of delaying things and, and pushing things, kicking the can down the road. And the people that pay for it is the fans, because you guys are not getting the fight you want. But also, to Miguel's general overall point, the PBC fighters, they're getting paid, they're making a lot of money, but there is an undeniable track record when they finally step up and fight somebody that's a non-PBC guy, I think their winning percentage is like 15%, 10 to 15%, okay, going back the last 10 or so, 20 years, uh, there is an undeniable track record. I'm gonna say like last 10 years or so. Um, it might not even be that long, honestly. It might be less than that. That to me shows that they're the fighters are not being taken care of in, in terms of their development. They're getting paid though. So as a fighter, you go with the, the 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 promoter and the management that has the track record of where you want to take your career. Do you want to make the most money possible? And kind of be protected. Do you want to make the best fights and get your market value? But know that you're going to be um, taken care of from a development standpoint. That would be maybe going with top rank. Top Rank's going to develop you and get the most of your potential. But you're going to make what your fair market value is. You're not going to get overpaid over there. Or do you want to go a different direction? And some of these fighters make their decision and it is what it is. Um, you can only blame the promoter so much. At some point, you got to look at the fighters themselves. Uh Gideon with the super chat, thank you so much. He said, "Did I miss the Paul versus Diaz fight breakdown?" Yeah. But it was not very much uh, a breakdown. I uh <laughs> Paul beat Diaz in a boxing match. Holy shit. Wow. And guess what? Tomorrow morning I'm going to take a shit. Like like that's, you know, how surprising that was. But Gideon, if you missed my breakdown of the Jake Paul experience, the Jake Paul experiment, sorry. Uh, go back and watch that. Go back and listen to that. Cause I think you might enjoy it. I think a lot of people uh, look again, I haven't watched one second of a Jake Paul fight. actually, you know what I, I, you know, I keep forgetting. I covered one for ring TV. I did cover one. It was here in Atlanta. I attended that. It was ringside. So I was, I was at one Jake Paul fight. Other than that, I haven't watched a single second of Jake Paul's boxing career but I understand why he's making money and getting opportunities. And it has everything to do with the economic muscle he brings to the table uh, through his social media following. It's not that different from what Ryan Garcia got earlier this year against Tank Davis. Sam with the super chat, thank you so much. He says, Oscar versus Navarrete. I'm going, who you got? Damn dude, have fun, man, have fun. Let me know how that, um, how you like Glendale and that, that Phoenix area what you think of it it's probably going to be hot as hell but it's pretty much hot everywhere so um who do i like in that i don't know dude um i guess on the surface you know valdez is the better boxer and like he should be able to outbox navarete that's what i think that's like my gut feel but i don't know dude i don't know uh sam with another super chat says, slaves don't drive ferraris come on man Well, yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's go. Uh, One more. Let's get one more call, guys. Let's get Nacho on the line to wrap it up. Nacho, what's up, brother? How you doing?
3: I'm all right, Mike. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. All right. Um, So, yeah, I'm not going to go into a long tangent like uh, Miguel did. Um, I got kind of lost there for a second. I... Kind of understood the point he was trying to make, but it went a little longer than I think he should have. Um, Just really quick about um, the fight coming up this weekend, Mike. Um, I think it's an interesting fight, but I got to favor Navarrete so long as he makes 130 without any issues. Because lately his problem has been actually making weight for the fights and then his ability to. you know, perform the next day has definitely been uh, an issue as far as, like, he's had to struggle with certain guys that he fought lately because of his weight issues. If he can make 130 with no problem, I would have to favor him just because of the the length, the uh, punch output, and um, the crazy um, angles that he throws shots from that I don't think Valdez is going to be prepared for because Valdez is the classic orthodox boxer, but he's never really faced a guy like Navarrete who just kind of wing shots from different angles and get hit with stuff that you really don't prepare for and you don't see coming. So if if Navarrete can be at 130 without any problems, I think he should win the fight. But if he doesn't, then I think the advantage goes to uh, Valdez because at that point, I think he's going to be able to uh, you know, gas him out, and then eventually you'll probably beat him. Um, you know, probably late TKO or maybe uh, a decision. Um, since I don't really want to talk about what happened this weekend, Mike, because I have no interest in that. <laughs> uh, Jake Paul made d s card. It was like whatever.
0: Right. Um,
3: I just wanted to pose a couple of questions. Um, regarding some fights that are coming up. Uh, what's your take on uh, Haney taking on progress?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good one, man. You know what? I actually like Haney in that fight. Am I crazy for liking Haney in that fight?
3: Um, I'm more in the ProGrain camp, and the only reason I'll tell you this is why, Mike. I think that ProGrain is the naturally bigger guy. Yeah. And also, I think ProGrain in his last fight, I think a lot of people are thinking too much out of the fact that he struggled with a B-level guy in Zoria. I just don't think he was motivated for that fight. I think for this fight, he's going to be extremely motivated, especially considering that Haney's dad has been out here talking a whole bunch of shit about him and how they think he's going to be easy work. I think Grey is going to be really motivated to take on Haney. I mean, I'm sure Haney will look a lot better at 140 than he did at 135. I'm just not sure he's going to be able to hold off Pro Gray in that fight
0: interesting yeah you know look if if pro gray can pull that off i'd love to see it um if he can return to the form he had like in the josh taylor fight and stuff or he was just um he just felt more balanced and a little more sturdy on his legs and stuff then yeah it's just um it's it's hard to know what to expect from him because i it's not just the last fight i mean the last fight he didn't look very good at all but like his recent fights dude like his career is kind of plateaued in terms of the momentum and stuff, you know? And Haney, um, look, a lot of people thought he lost to Lomachenko, but even if he did, losing to Lomachenko, there's no like shame in that. You know, Lomachenko is a Hall of Fame level fighter. So um I don't know. I just I got a feeling that Haney and his his dad only take fights where they feel they have a significant advantage, whether it be size, Skill something. And they see something in Progray where they think they can outbox him. But dude, I'd love to see Progray pull it off. That'd be great.
3: Yeah. Um, and then uh the other um fight that uh was mentioned in a few weeks from now. Uh so so Briel Matias was supposed to defend against Sergey Lipinets, but apparently the IBS stepped in and said no. So now they're saying that there's a chance that there's a pursuit going on between him. And a guy named Shohan uh, Ergashev. I don't know if you've heard of him, Mike. He's from like U- Uzbekistan. Yeah. He's based he fought on a few times here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, him. If that fight gets made, what do you think of that fight?
0: So it would be uh, Matthias versus Ergashev.
3: Yeah,
0: it would be a. I don't think Ergashev's fought anybody on that level yet. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And then he doesn't have a lot of power, right? Am I thinking of the right guy?
3: no a guy can punch he can punch i think his record is like 18 he's like 18 or 19 and oh but he has like 14 or 15 knockouts so he's got power
0: because there's a couple of these guys from that part of the world based in detroit right now and they're promoted by uh dimitri salida i think because he does some shows up there in detroit and um dude i like that fight that's a very interesting matchup very interesting uh, great contrast to styles. That'd be a lot of fun, man.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, then I mean, just real quick before I get off like, my... I haven't heard anything about the replacement opponent for Joshua since Dillian White got busted. Has anything been announced that you know of as far as who's going to replace him?
0: Nah, I've heard some names thrown out there, but I, I don't know. I, I just hope it's not like one of these dudes he's already fought or one of these guys that's just been – passed around like I just I hope it's somebody new that could give him rounds and something to think about kind of like Jermaine Franklin like somebody on that level but I, I don't know who it's going to be
3: ah mm-hmm. uh, okay cool all right Mike well uh that was all I had all right I'll talk to you later
0: all right thanks Nacho all right guys all I know right. We, we got a few guys still on the line everyone but I, like I said man I got to the bounce guys I'm just busy right now it's hard for me to do a super long show I promise it won't always be this way. Uh, Thanks for being with me, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll do it again next week. All right, peace.